Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. We'll be picking up in verse 9 in just a moment this morning. As we continue our way through this fall's series, Thou Shalt Feast. Thou shalt feast. Uh, in Leviticus 23, we see all of these, this, this list of descriptions of, of feasts that God gives to his people, this whole calendar of feasts. Uh, and, and essentially, this chapter could be summed up. Thou shalt feast. And so we're exploring each one of these uh, throughout the fall. Now, um, I've gotten to share with a few of you, whether in class or elsewhere, that over the past week, Caitlin and I have started our first yard project. Uh, since we moved into our home, we've been utterly overwhelmed by our backyard. It's this big blank uh canvas in many ways, but it's also just kind of a mess. Uh, and so we've just been overwhelmed by it. But we decided to plant some trees uh, along the back, kind of a hedge uh, along the back fence. And so this weekend, as we were working on that, we were going to the store to get all the supplies that we needed. And I noticed a number of signs in the garden section of the store that read, plant in fall, bloom in spring right? Plants in fall bloom in spring. Now, I'm sure they're just trying to sell plants in the fall. And so, you know, hey guys, get them, do it. Um, but it reminded me uh, very simply of the basic rhythms of the earth. The basic rhythms of the earth, right? We move through seasons. And there are some seasons that are for planting and waiting. And there are other seasons that are for blooming and for harvesting. Uh, and, you know, this, this may be a marketing strategy for the garden store, but for the ancient people of Israel, this basic rhythm of the earth was a, a life reality. Um, they were a people of the land. So they lived by the rhythms of the land in a way that our, our modern world and global economy doesn't have to, right? We're, you know, whenever we're not in harvest season here, then we can get stuff shipped from wherever it is harvest season uh, and so on. But that wasn't true for them. They were deeply embedded in the rhythms of the world they lived in. They sowed crops in the late fall, which would then begin to produce for harvest in the spring, and this rhythm is reflected in the calendar that's described in Leviticus 23. So here's a review of the, the feasts of Leviticus 23. I showed you this a few weeks ago, and we kind of did an overview. Um, you, the Jewish calendar months are on the outer part of this calendar wheel. Our calendar months are on the inner part of this calendar wheel, and you can see where the different feasts fall on the outside of it. Um, and what we see here is that the feasts were largely divided into, there's a, a, a bunch of spring feasts, and then there's a bunch of fall feasts, and the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, is kind of there in the middle. Um, and, and this is the rhythm that, that they have. So um, last week, we looked at the first uh, spring festivals, the spring feasts of Passover and unleavened bread. That's what we explored together last week. Well, this week, we're going to be reading about first fruits, the offering of the first fruits, the springtime start 
of harvest. And so let's read together Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I am going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord, a lamb a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering of a quarter of a hen of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word and for the springtime gift of first fruits that we reflect on together today. God, as we reflect on the words of your scripture, we ask that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first fruits is what we're looking at. Leviticus gives some basic instructions for the first fruits. Uh, a sheaf of the first grain that is harvested is to be brought to the priests, along with some other offerings for this particular day. The grain is ceremonially waved before the Lord, and the offerings form a pleasing aroma of worship to the Lord. And that's what happens on this special day of first fruits. That's the basics of, of what's going on, what's being described. But what does it all mean? Right? What, what does this say to the people? Uh, as, as we've been exploring this whole series, we, we've been coming back to this reality that calendars are not neutral. Um, they form us. They tell a particular story. So what story is the calendar of Israel telling? What story does this Feast of first fruits tell? Well, the first fruits and the offerings communicate at least three things that I want to explore today. Um, he, here they are. I'll go ahead and give them to you. Uh, first, they tell the story of the promised land. Uh, second, they declare to the people that everything comes from God. Everything is from God. And third, they show that more is on the way. The first fruits communicate that more is on the way. So they tell the story of the promised land, declare that everything comes from God, and they show that there is more on the way. So let's, let's talk about each of these. First, the first fruits tell the story of the promised land. The instructions we just read in Leviticus begin this way. In verse 10, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, 
when you enter the land, right? It's, it's about the land. When you enter the land, I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain of your harvest. The day of first fruits is a day to remember the story of the land, the story of the promised land. You see, the feasts of Passover and unleavened bread that we talked about last week tell the story of the people's deliverance out of Egypt, right? God delivered us. He set us free. But the Feast of the First Fruits tells the story of their entrance into the promised land, their arrival at the place that God had promised to give them. This Feast of First Fruits is a reminder that God has not only taken away what is bad, but God also gives what is good. See, God is a deliverer and a provider. He's a mighty warrior who, who we saw battling with the supposed gods of Egypt last week. But he's also a good father who makes a home for his people. So offering the first fruits is a reminder of this, this whole story, right? God has taken us out of Egypt, but he has also brought us into this promised land. In fact, in Deuteronomy 26, there's more guidance for the offering of first fruits, and it provides a, a whole liturgy for the, the, those who are bringing their first fruits to the priests. Uh, it says they are to bring their basket of grain before the Lord, and then they are to declare, my father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt. This is talking about Abraham, all right? Uh, father Abraham had many sons. Uh, he went down into Egypt with a few people, lived there, and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. And then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. And the Lord heard our voice, saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So, the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror, with signs and wonders. And he brought us to this place. And he gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. And then they would place the basket before the Lord and bow down before him. This is what they would do when they would bring their offering of first fruits. They would, they would retell this whole story and then dedicate these first fruits and worship. You see, worship is about storytelling. Worship is about storytelling. This is what we do together every week. We tell and remember the story of all that God has done. That's what we do every time we gather. Now, many of us, perhaps, have been accustomed to revisiting the story of our suffering and our sin. And that is part of the story. But that's not the whole story. Right? There's also the story of God's gracious and generous provision. 
So, so yes, we give thanks to the forgiveness that God has given, the deliverance that he's brought in our lives. He has, he has brought us out of Egypt. He's forgiven us of our sins. But the festival of first fruits reminds us that we are also to give thanks for all the good things that God gives. To, to remember the story of his promise as well. To give thanks for all that he has given and will give. So the Israelites would bring their first fruits and they would tell this story of the promised land. Retelling the story from Abraham to Egypt to Exodus to now. He's brought us to this place, given us this land. So now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given. They bring their first fruits. And as they tell this story, they're reminded of a deeper truth. That brings us to the second thing that this festival, this feast of first fruits communicates. And that is that everything is from God. Everything is from God. They brought their first fruits as a sign that everything came from God. You know, one might say they sowed the seed, but God gave the growth, right? Uh, you know, Paul says something like that. Um, but it actually goes deeper than that, even. After all, they sowed the seed, God gave the growth, but where did they get the land that they sowed the seeds on? Well, that came from God. Where did they get the seeds that they were sowing? came from God. For that matter, where did they get the hands, the feet, the life and breath that they sow with? It came from God. Everything is from God. Offering the first fruits isn't just about, well, this part belongs to God. Let me go ahead and do that. And the rest, that's mine. It's not what it's about. They gave as a sign that everything belongs to God. This offering is a reminder that we didn't have anything until we had you, Lord. You're the one who's given us everything. And we see this depicted even more deeply in the additional offerings that are described. If you look back in verses 12 and 13, Leviticus 23, it says, on the day when you wave the sheaf, you must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord. A lamb, a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of flour mixed with olive oil and its drink offering of a quarter of a hen of wine. Lamb, flour, oil, wine. This, this reminds me a little bit of, of when I was growing up. Uh, and I remember seeing just countless cereal commercials as a kid right? You've got Tony the Tiger with Frosted Flakes. You've got Lucky the Leprechaun with Lucky Charms. You've got Sam the Toucan with Fruit Loops. You've got the Rabbit with Tricks, right? Silly Rabbit. Tricks are for kids. Any of you remember any of these? I don't know if they still play because these days everything's on streaming and like 
Netflix doesn't have commercials, thank goodness. But, um, but I, those serial commercials were just embedded into me as a kid. I just remember seeing them over and over again, these cartoons and, and characters and all of that. They were wild and fun adventures. But every single one of these serial commercials would end with, you know, they're zooming in on that big bowl of, of, of cereal. And then there would be a very short and very quick disclaimer, all part of a balanced breakfast. Part of a balanced breakfast. That, not a balanced breakfast. Part, right? That's key. So, I mean, I guess it turns out all those mornings of just loading up with Lucky Charms was not that great for me. But it's part of a balanced breakfast, right? Not the whole thing. There should be some protein. There should be some fruit. There should be something to drink, on and on. Well, the first fruits offering of grain was part of a balanced meal. But there are these additional offerings as well. Lamb, flour, oil, wine, which together depict a complete meal. A whole meal. There's meat, there's bread, there's drink. And this was meant as a declaration that God is not only a provider of some things. He's a provider of all things. Everything is from God. See, when Israel was wandering in the wilderness, God miraculously fed them with manna that would appear on the ground overnight. Uh, with quail that would get blown in by the wind, with water that flowed out of a rock, right? I mean, just crazy stuff. But when they entered the promised land, their food came from working the land, harvesting grain. But this was no less God feeding them. It's still God. Whether through miracle or monotony. God is at work. God is at work. Everything is from God. This is what the offering of the first fruits communicates to the people, right? And, and there's this moment in our worship services that's like this, right? We too, every week, have a moment called the offering. And most weeks, you will hear me pray during that time, something to the effect of, God, these offerings are a sign that all we have comes from you. These offerings are a sign that all we have comes from you. Even though, you know, ever since COVID, we haven't been passing a basket around, and most of us end up just giving online anyways these days, we still, in our worship service, pause to pray, to give thanks for what God has provided, and to remember that these gifts, these offerings, are a sign that everything is from God. Everything is from God. There's this quote that um, I think goes back to Teresa of Lisieux from the late 1800s, which simply says, all is grace. 
All is grace. Everything is grace. And the word grace, we were talking about this in class earlier, the word grace simply means gift. It just means gift, is, is the word grace. A free gift. And so all is grace means everything that we have has come to us as a gift. Has come to us as a gift. Everything, right? And when we think about grace, you know, we think about spiritual things usually, right? And yes, there are spiritual things. Do, do we have salvation in Christ? Yes, that's grace. Do we have the ability to draw near to God in worship and prayer? Yes, that's grace. But also, did you wake up this morning? I think you did. Maybe you're still awake. That's grace too. That's also a gift. Did you eat breakfast this morning? Maybe a bowl of cereal. That's also a gift. Did you just take a breath? That's a gift. All is grace. All is grace. Whether super spiritual or super simple. Whether miraculous or monotonous. All is grace. Everything is from God. Here is what this day of first fruits teaches. That God should not only be the first in our life, although he should, but that God truly is our life. God is our life. God's not merely the main course on the menu. God is the whole meal. The whole thing. All is grace. Everything is from God. And there's one more thing that this festival of first fruits communicates. And that's this that there's more on the way. There's more on the way. The first fruits were a springtime event. So I, I want you to imagine for a moment I know it's fall, but just stick with me here. You're probably dreading this, but the winter, which is coming eventually, is long, it's dark, it's wet, it's cold, it's bleak, right? You, you know it. We live in the Pacific Northwest. And we do have those beautiful evergreens that stick around year-round, but other than that, everything else is pretty bare. But then, just, just imagine that first little appearance those small pink buds on a cherry blossom tree and the moment that you see that those buds are just first fruits right but but you know that they're a sign that in not too much time the ground beneath that tree is going to be a thick carpet of pink right and there's going to be more blossoms than anyone knows what to do with that's what the first fruits tell us. More is on the way. More is on the way. First fruits, by their very nature, are just the beginning, just the start. 
They're a present sign of a future reality. And so first fruits call us to be a people of hope and trust. To trust that more is on the way. So this is what the, the festival of first fruits would communicate to the people of Israel. It recalls the story of the promised land, declares that everything is from God, and it shows that more is on the way. And because it's a sign of trust and hope, this image of first fruits was a favorite of the early church. And it was a regularly used image by New Testament writers. See, they used it a number of ways to describe our life with God. And I want to just share a few of those here. Uh, one of them, in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. As we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. So here's the picture that Paul is painting here, right? Even though all creation is in that bitter darkness of late winter, the Holy Spirit within us is the first fruit. The first fruits, the early buds of a springtime yet to come. The Holy Spirit who descends upon the waters of baptism, who dwells within all who trust in Jesus, is a sign that more is on the way. Redemption is coming, and we have the first fruits of it and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere in Ephesians 1, Paul uh, doesn't use the term first fruits, but in a similar way, he refers to the Holy Spirit as a deposit or a down payment of redemption. And a down payment means more is on the way. The Spirit given to us is a sign, the first fruits of a holy harvest. James also uses this image. In James chapter 1, he writes, Every good and perfect gift is from above. See, everything is from God. James acknowledges, Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. So here it's, it's not just the spirit within us that is first fruits, but we ourselves are a kind of first fruit in the world. Every week, just moments ago, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, we pray for the coming of God's kingdom. But as we follow Jesus and participate in the kingdom of God now, 
we become first fruits of this coming kingdom that is here but but yet to be fully established on earth as it is in heaven the very way that we live is a sign of first fruits that we might be a different kind of people living in a different kind of reality that will be full and true and looking toward that day we our first fruits. There's another way that this image of first fruits is used. This is perhaps the most definitive sign of first fruits of all. Jesus is the first fruits. I want to bring us back to Leviticus and tie a couple things together here. See, last week we we traced Holy Week, how Jesus arrived in Jerusalem on the very day that they were choosing the lamb that would be the Passover lamb. Just as they were selecting their Passover lamb, Jesus came as the Passover lamb. And then later that week, Jesus sat down and shared the Passover meal with his disciples. Right? There's all these parallels between the festivals of Israel and the life and death of Jesus. So here's the question. When are the first fruits offered? When do they lift up the first fruits as an offering? Leviticus 23, if you look at verse 11, he is to wave the sheaf before the Lord, so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. The day after the Sabbath. Now, there's a good bit of scholarly debate about what is meant by that. Does that just mean on a Sunday? Day after the Sabbath, right? Uh, some Sunday, you know, the Sunday after you see the, the new fruit, go offer it. Maybe. But in context here, following the stories of Passover and the instructions for unleavened bread, one possible understanding is that the first fruits were offered on the Sunday after Passover. The Sunday after Passover. So Jesus shared Passover with his followers, with his disciples. He broke bread with them. He said, this is my body. He lifted the cup and said, this is my blood. And then that very night, like a Passover lamb, was led to the slaughter. And he hung on the cross as the Lamb of God. So the nation of Israel would be celebrating these feasts. But the Sunday after Passover, what were they doing? They were offering, lifting up their first fruits as an offering. A Sunday after Passover, Jesus was lifted up from the grave as the first fruit of resurrection, the promise of life to come. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. 
For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits. And then, when he comes, those who belong to him. Jesus, risen from death, is the first fruits of our own overcoming of death. Jesus is a sign that we will all be raised, that death will be defeated, that the kingdom of God will come and all things will be made new again. Jesus is our first fruits. And so we remember and celebrate the life that we have in him. This is our celebration of first fruits. We come to the table. It's a Passover meal, yes. But we remember his death until what? Until he comes again. Because he is the first fruits of all that is to come. And when he comes again, then we too will be raised in glory. And so in Christ, we find our hope and the promise that there is more on the way. Amen.